Thanks for joining us for today's message. We are always so encouraged to hear how God is working through this ministry to change lives. If you have a story to share about how God has worked in your life, then let us know by sending us an email to mystory@timberlakechurch.com. Also, if you would like to support this ministry financially, you can do so by giving online at timberlakechurch.com give. Enjoy the message. good to see you. My name is Shane. I'm one of the pastors here. I also want to say hello to all of our campuses tuning in as well. Uh, Do you remember your first job? I was thinking about that this last week. First jobs and then first job mistakes. Do you remember any of those? Uh, For me, my first job was a paper boy. Was anybody else a paper boy or a paper girl back in the day? Okay, a few of us, yeah. If you're not familiar with the job, it is when a superior athlete rides their bike around the neighborhood wearing a poncho with pockets full of newspapers, and you have to throw them to the houses. It's very, very difficult. It was in the 1990s in Eugene, Oregon, and I started the job in sunny June. It was incredible. It was warm and bright out. I would ride my bike, deliver the newspapers, and then go back to bed. I loved it. And then September came, and school started, and the rain, and the darkness. And then instead of going back to bed, I had to get ready for school. And so three weeks in, I was miserable. And then one morning, it was raining and cold, and I was out on my route, and I sort of went on autopilot. Has that ever happened to you? I'd been doing the same loop for months, and so I get to the final house, and I look inside my poncho, and there are 12 newspapers left. There's not supposed to be 12 newspapers left. There's supposed to be one newspaper left for the one house that's left. And so I look back at the last few houses, and they each have one newspaper. And so I don't know where I messed up. So that house woke up to 12 newspapers on their front step. It was Christmas morning for them. It was also my last day on the job. Now, a few years later, I was working as a landscaper for my my girlfriend's dad. And uh, I was with these two other guys, and at the beginning, they just let me follow them around and sort of clean up after them. But finally, I graduated, and they let me start mowing the lawns. It was a really big deal. And so one day, we get to this, this house, and it's this huge property, lots of trees and shaped bushes, and they were going to do all the trimming, and I was supposed to mow the yard. And so I was headed to the backyard, and one of the guys, before I went, he said, Shane, he said, this is very important. They are very particular about their yard. Do not cut the grass too short. Don't mess this up. And so I'm thinking, I wasn't planning on messing this up, but now I'm worried about it. So he totally psyched me out. I'm heading to the backyard. I'm thinking, don't mess this up. Don't mess this up. Don't mess this up. And so I go to check the lawnmower to make sure it's high enough. Well, I messed up. Instead of raising it up, I accidentally lowered it down. And so I start the lawnmower, and I go over the first patch of grass, and then I look back, and I've like buzz cut this lady's yard, like down to the dirt. There is no more green anywhere. And so I'm freaking out. I'm thinking, not only am I going to lose my job, I'm going to lose my girlfriend. This is going to be horrible. And so no one's seen it yet, so I I raise up the lawnmower, and I, I do the rest of the yard, and then... At the end, I go back over to the spot, and I get, like, the grass clippings, and I sort of, like, shake them out over the spot. And so it looks green from a distance, and then I left. Don't judge me. It's horrible, I know. 
Now, now you probably have a few stories like that of your own, and behavioral psychologists would say that that's a good thing, right? That the goal is that we make a lot of little mistakes with little consequences when we're young so that we don't make bigger mistakes with bigger consequences when we're older. It's called life. We go through some things, we learn some things, we do better. And this is sort of that time of the year, isn't it? Where we kind of, before you head into the next year, you look back at the last year and you sort of reflect and you say, okay, where did I go right and where did I go wrong and, and where do I maybe need to make some course corrections? And, and then you come up with a list. And the reality is there's always a list, isn't there? Why? Because of hindsight. What do they say about hindsight? Hindsight is... 2020. Because when I look back, I have perspective. I have time. There's no pressure. I can evaluate. The problem is sometimes we can think that that whole process is automatic when it's not. The first fill-in in your note sheet, if you'd like to follow along, is this. It's the myth that experiences make us better. That I've gone through some things, so I will be better. But that's not always the case, is it? We all know people who make the same mistakes over and over again. Some of us were with a few of those people last week over the holidays. And the people change, and the situation changes, but it's sort of the same story again and again and again. And the reality is that experience alone does not make us better. Experience makes us older, makes us angrier, can make us poorer. Experience can make us lonelier. But an experience one time doesn't mean we're any more qualified for the next time than we were the first time. Experience alone doesn't make us better, but what does? Here's the truth. Evaluated experiences make us better, right? You've experienced this. It wasn't just that you went through something. It was that you actually stopped, and you thought about it, and you evaluated it, and you made some changes and some course corrections along the way, and that made all the difference. Here's my favorite passage from Scripture for this time of year. It's found in Psalms 48. It says, Walk about Zion, go around her, Count her towers, consider her ramparts, view her citadels, that you may tell of them to the next generation. He's saying, sort of do a walkabout, check out the area, go around, look at the towers and the citadels and and the ramparts and, and count them and take inventory and sort of evaluate how we're doing. Take time to pause. And that's what I kind of want to do this weekend with all of us. I want to sort of walk us through this process. And so I have four challenges for us as we head into 2018. And the first one, here's how it all starts, is number one, develop a puke pile. Develop a puke pile. Now, first of all, you're welcome for the visual. Second of all, what am I talking about? I think that every year we should have a list of things that we say, I'm not going to do that anymore. It may have been okay last year. It may not have been okay last year. But this next year, I'm not going to bring it with me. It's going to go into a puke pile. You say, that's gross. Well, I got it from the Bible. Proverbs 26, 11. As a dog returns to its vomit, so fools repeat their folly. The writer is saying that as gross and as silly and as stupid as that dog is, we do that too. A fool repeats his folly. We make the same mistakes over and over again. We get stuck in patterns of thinking and living that are, that are sort of destructive. We settle for things that aren't at their best because we get caught in a cycle. And ultimately, this can be difficult to break because it takes a long look in the mirror. 
I was reading that queen, the Queen of England during Shakespeare's time period had her palace full of mirrors. But then as she got older, she had every single mirror removed from the palace because she didn't want a reminder that she was getting older. So she just avoided it. Every year there should be a list of things that we say, you know what, I'm not going to do that anymore. <clears throat> it could be an attitude where maybe you've been making excuses or, or feeling sorry for yourself. It could be a habit. And, and maybe, maybe nobody even knows about it. It started small, but it's sort of grown, and it's sort of taken over. And you'd say, you know what, this is the time where I take back control, and I'm going to make some progress in this area. Maybe for you it's a relationship or a person. And you say, you know, when I'm with that person or when I think about them or when I see their posts on social media, I just don't go to a healthy place. And so I'm going to put them in my pile. I'm not going to tell them where I'm putting them, but I'm going to put them in my pile. Or for you, maybe it's sort of a pattern of, of thinking that you've been in where, where you've been sort of critical or judgmental or harsh. Maybe for you it could be have to do with your health or, or eating or exercise or something like that. Maybe it's a hairdo. You'd say, I'm just not going to do that again. When I was in seventh grade, I got frosted tips. Like, I don't even think that's a thing anymore, but that's where you, like, bleach just the ed just, just like the, the front of your hair. It, it was horrible. I, I did it because this, this kid in my class, Casey Jorgensen, he was cool. All the girls liked him. He got frosted tips, and so I wanted to be cool like him. The problem is he looked awesome. I looked like Tina Turner. It was horrible. And so I said, you know, I'm never going to do that again. Now, I'm having some fun here, but here's the reality. It could be heavy or it could be light. It could be some big things or it could be some small things. You may have a list of one thing or a list of ten things. The important thing is this, that you're intentional about creating a list. Author Bob Goff, in his book Love Does, he talks about this habit that he started years ago called Quit Thursday. And the idea is simple. Every Thursday, he quit something. He said it could be something small like uh, unsubscribing from an email list or a little habit. Or it could be something big like a job or a seat on a board. But every Thursday, he quit something. And he's done it for years. And he said the idea is twofold. Number one, you eliminate anything in your life that shouldn't be there. And number two, you continually remind yourself that you don't have to be stuck in a rut. Why does this matter? Because it's not what we do that marks our lives, it's what we repeat. In his book, Good to Great, author Jim Collins talks about the doom loop. And it's sort of this ominous name about this cycle that businesses can find themselves in. And, and here's what it looks like. The idea is that it starts with disappointing results. And I think this is true in business and this is true in life. This is true sometimes when we get out of the shower and look in the mirror. Disappointing results. But then we make a change. But the problem is it's a quick change. It's a reactionary change. And so there's no, there's no buildup. There's no momentum. There's no thought. There's no action plan behind it. So once again, it leads to disappointing results. And then the cycle sort of continues. And, and he talks about how businesses find themselves this when they try to change, but they actually don't make any progress because they're repeating the same mistakes. And ultimately, it takes intentionality to break the cycle where we take a step back and we look at our lives and we say, okay, God, what would be some things from 2017 that I should leave in 2017 and not bring with me into 2018? You see, the first part of this process is removing some things from our lives. But then the question comes in, what do we replace them with? 
And that's where challenge number two comes in. Number two, choose to pray first. The second challenge is to develop prayer as a reflex. That in every situation, we would decide to pray first. If I threw something at you, hopefully you would catch it without even thinking about it, right? It's, it's a reflex. You would just reach up and grab it. Your mind wouldn't even have to process it. Uh, a few years ago, my son Henley, he was probably two years old at the time, and my wife and I were playing with him in the living room, and we were, we were sort of practicing, you know, throwing and catching a ball and developing his coordination and reflexes. And, and he was playing for a while, and then he started closing his eyes and trying to catch the ball, but he's two, and so he, he kept missing, and he was getting frustrated. So he decided to change the game. He started just, from across the room, running at us full speed with his eyes closed. And then we would catch him, and then we would open his eyes and laugh and run back across the room and do it again. Now, my wife and I are sitting there, and we're thinking, there's no way that he's running at full speed across the room with his eyes closed. Like, he's got to be peeking. That is way too much trust. And so one of us decided to put it to the test. Now, I'm not going to tell you which one of us she was. But one of us, at the last minute, jumped out of the way, thinking that he would, he would stop because he was peeking. He didn't stop. He kept running full speed and smacked into the wall and fell down. And now we're dealing with trust issues. <laughs> now, it's fun when you're working with little kids and, and sort of their coordination and reflexes. And, and, and for those of you that have experienced it, it's like they, they start out awkward and they can't do anything. And then what happens? We grow up. And all of a sudden, things that tuck intentional thought all of a sudden come as a natural reaction. And here's how this works. A reflex action involves a very simple nervous pathway called a reflex arc. A reflex arc starts off with receptors being excited. They then send signals along a sensory neuron to your spinal cord, where the signals are passed on to a motor neuron. As a result, one of your muscles or glands is stimulated. It happens in a fraction of a second without you even thinking about it. Reflex. Here's what I want to do. I want us to consider prayer as a reflex. Some of us, we are conditioned, or, or maybe we grew up in an environment where we were conditioned to pray before certain things. Like before dinner, we pray. Or before bed, we pray. You don't even have to think about it. It's just it's dinner time, it's bedtime. You just pray. It's a reflex. For some of us, it's, it's before a crisis or if something was really bad, we pray. Or if we really need a parking spot, we pray. Or if the Seahawks are waiting till the fourth quarter to actually start playing, we pray. And what if we tried this? Catch this. What if instead of before certain things we prayed, what if we expanded that to everything? What if we prayed first before everything? Here's what it says in, in the book of Daniel. Daniel chapter 6. Now when Daniel learned that the decree had been published... He went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened towards Jerusalem. Three times a day he got down on his knees and he prayed, giving thanks to his God, just as he had done before. The book of Daniel tells the account of a man named Daniel who was an Israelite exiled in Babylon and sort of the influence that he was able to have there. And what's really cool is Daniel's in this environment where he's fully removed from everything and everyone that was familiar to him. And he's in this environment where his faith is being tested on a daily basis. And some of you, you've been in environments like that. 
And all of a sudden, this decree is published that puts Daniel's life in danger because of his faith. But Daniel has this habit of prayer. And it, it says this, it says three times a day. It says he gets down, when he hears about the decree, he, he gets down and he prays, giving thanks to God. And I love this part. It says, just as he had done before. He wasn't just praying because of this decree. He was praying because that's what he did. Prayer wasn't a last resort. It was a first response for Daniel. It was just part of his normal life. So what could this look like? Where, where at the beginning of the day, you prayed first. Where before a big decision, you prayed first. Where when you're facing a problem, you prayed first. Where before your kids go off to school, you prayed first. Before every meeting, before every day, before every trip, before every conversation, you prayed first. And prayer, it doesn't have to be long and boring. It can be short and simple. God, help. God, here's what I'm feeling. God, thank you. Your kids are heading to school. Jesus, be with them and protect them. Amen. And, and here's what's going to happen. Yes, prayer can change your circumstances. But more importantly, prayer can change your heart. Because when we just develop this habit of continually inviting God in and inviting God in and inviting God in, when we begin to follow Jesus, what, what, what's going to happen is, is, yes, he will make your life better, but he'll also make you better at life. And there's something incredible that happens when we just begin to pray first and include him in every step of the way. We try to pray each night with our kids before bed. And uh, a couple months ago, I was praying with my now four-year-old son, Henley. And, and we, were, we were sitting in his bed, and I started to pray. And he, like, put his finger up and, like, shushed me. He said, Dad, pray in your mind. I can hear you in my heart. And then he closed his eyes. I'm like, what does that even mean? And so, so I pray for him, and, and then I, like, give him a hug. And, and then I whisper in his ears. I said, I said, Henley, I love you. And he smiles, and he like pulls my head down to whisper something in my ear. And I'm like, ah, oh, we're having a moment here, you know. And he says, I'm going to poop on your face. <laughs> Thanks, son. I love you too. Moment has passed. Good night. We're still working with him. I blame the head trauma from before. But here's what I'm trying to teach him. Is that, that before bed we pray. Before bed we pray. And as I was thinking about this, I was thinking about 2018, and I decided for me, I want to expand that. We're not just before bed, not just before certain things, but before everything that I would pray first. And maybe you would want to get involved in that as well. Number three, the third challenge, increase your reserves. Luke 6, 45 says, a man brings good things out of the good that's stored up in his heart. And an evil man brings evil things out of the evil that's stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. And so here's the question. What's stored up inside of you? You see, part of this process is, is kind of taking a step back and taking inventory and checking in on our reserves. And so I put down four areas in, in, in your note sheet. And as I sort of talk through each of these, would you just put an X on the line where you're at? There's a line, and on one side it says empty, and one side it says full. And when it comes to this area of your life, would you, just, would you just be honest and say, you know what, here I feel a little bit empty right now in this season, or maybe here I feel, I feel full or, or somewhere in between. Just put an X on the line. 
The first is our emotional reserves. How are you doing emotionally? Do you find yourself easily angered or annoyed? Do you find yourself frustrated often? You see, emotions, they're, they're kind of like temperature. They go up and they go down, but often they, they go up a little quicker than they go down, don't they? And sometimes if you're like me, you can find yourself reacting or responding to something in a moment, and it's just a little harsh or negative, or, or, and, and, and you're like, that, what I'm responding to isn't even that big of a deal, but there's maybe some things going on below the surface that are sort of playing themselves out in this moment. And so when it comes to your emotions, you know, how are you doing? We can't let someone else dictate how we feel. We have to be in control of caring for our own heart. So would you say, you know, in this area, I'm, I'm, I'm full, or, you know, right now, I just feel kind of emotionally drained. And then there's our physical reserves. How are you doing physically? Do you feel healthy? Exercise, stretching, eating right, getting outside. Are you tired all the time? Are you getting enough sleep? How are your physical reserves doing in this season of life? And then there's relational reserves. How are you doing relationally? Do you know somebody that, that, that you can count on for anything you need? Does somebody know all of your secrets? Do you know the names of all your neighbors? As much as it depends on you, are you at an okay place with all your family members? How are you doing relationally in that department? Put an X on the line. And then there's our spiritual reserves. How are you doing here? Now, now we all, we're all on our own spiritual journey, and that's great. But when it comes to your spiritual journey, when it comes to your faith, do you feel like you're making progress? Do you feel like you're moving forward? Do you feel like, you know what, I feel spiritually full where I can have an impact on other people? Or would you say, you know, in this season I sort of feel spiritually drained? So how'd you do? Now the goal in all of this is, is not for you to feel, feel bad about areas where, where you're not doing as good. The goal is just simply to say, okay, here's, here's where I'm at, and I'm going to commit to moving the needle a little bit to the right. And what, what this will hopefully help you do is say, maybe there's some areas that are a little bit uh, drained, and I'm going to identify some of the things that are draining me, and I'm going to put those in my pile so that I can be at a healthy place. I'm not going to wait till I get empty to get full again. And then finally, number four. This all happens when we let God redirect our passions. What is passion? A lot of people use it synonymous with excitement, but it's not. Excitement comes and excitement goes. I ate a cookie yesterday. I was really excited about that cookie. That's just me. But it's gone. That's excitement. Passion is deeper. Passion lasts. There's this really cool account in the book of Matthew where Jesus calls some of the first disciples. It says, as Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and they followed him. I memorized this passage as a teenager. And the version that I memorized it in, Jesus said, Come follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And I always thought that sounded cool. It stuck with me. Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. These, these fishermen, they were just kind of living their lives. They were passionate about fishing. They probably had dreams of continuing to fish. 
They had this idea that maybe they could get bigger boats. Maybe they could get more boats. Maybe they could hire a crew. Maybe they could get a fishing processing plant. Maybe they could expand to some other lakes and build this fishing empire. They had dreams of fishing. And Jesus said, you know what? You're passionate about fishing, and that's great. And I'm not going to correct your passions, but I'm going to sort of redirect them. And all of a sudden, Jesus gets involved, and, and their whole life changes. And if you read on through the Gospels, you'll find that they go on to help people and heal people. And they make this impact that's so far beyond anything they could have ever imagined. Simply because Jesus got involved. And he said, I'm going to take your passions and I'm going to bring purpose to them that's greater than yourself. What's something that you're passionate about that you could invite God into? Where, where you would say, you know what, I'm going I'm to pray first. I'm going to invite God in continually. I'm going to begin to follow Jesus one step at a time. And he's going to take me places that I never even thought possible. And what's going to happen when Jesus gets involved in our passions, he helps us to move from, from simply success to significance, where, where we, we make an impact that's, that's bigger and beyond anything we could have ever imagined. Because what happens? We begin to help others. Uh, a friend of mine is passionate about the homeless, and he helps organize serve days at a shelter and opportunities for them to get a second chance. Another friend of mine is passionate about food. And so they, a while back, they started a growth group here at Timberlake with other people who are passionate about food. And they come together and they make meals and then they deliver them to people in need. They take them to the homeless youth in Redmond. They take them to, to people who are just getting out of surgery. Just, just to help. Take one of their passions and and help other people. Another friend of mine, they're passionate about cars. And so years ago, they started a Saturday morning car group where anyone who needs help can come and get their car fixed for free, where they donate their time and their talents and their resources just to help and be a benefit to others. Another friend of mine is passionate about young moms finding community and relationships. And so she volunteers at MOPS, which is Mothers of Preschoolers. Now, it doesn't have to be at Timberlake. This is just a few examples of people that, that I know. But there's something incredible that happens when, when we invite God into our passions. What's something that you're passionate about, that you're already doing, that you could say, you know what, maybe I could start a growth group around this and invite other people to be involved. Or maybe for you, it's simply about each day waking up and praying first and saying, Holy Spirit, open my eyes to the opportunities that you're going to place in my path today. Whereas I just go about my normal life, through my normal day, through my normal interactions, God, use my words and my actions to be a benefit to other people. It's incredible. How does this all happen? What's really cool is that in Matthew 4, the passage that we just read, not only in the passion do we find the goal, Jesus says fishing for people, but we find the simple instructions on how to accomplish it as well. Jesus says, follow me, and I will send you out to fish for people. Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Here's the great news. Your job and my job is actually really, really simple. It's just to follow Jesus. We follow, he makes. We follow, he makes. In 1996, there was an article in the Seattle Times about a man named Lee Caps. You may remember this. One day, Lee got in a private plane with his friend, and, and they take off. 
His friend was the pilot. It was just the two of them. They were flying over Lake Washington. When they got to cruising altitude, Lee's friend, the pilot, the only other one in the aircraft, had a massive heart attack and died right there on the spot. Lee was freaking out. He had no idea how to fly a plane. In desperation, he grabbed the radio and began screaming for help. An air traffic controller got on the radio. And luckily for Lee, he was not only trained in crisis, but he was actually a flight instructor. He said, he said what's going on? And Lee explained to him. He said, what's your name? My name's Lee. He said, would you be open to a few flying lessons right about now? He said, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you some core essentials. I'm just going to help you step by step on how to land this plane. Just listen to what I say. And so Lee's nervous, but he listens to the instructions, and then he begins his descent, and he tries to land this plane, and he crashes, and he dies. I'm joking. He doesn't. I'm sorry. Now, it did say that he came in like a drunk duck, but, but he lands this plane, and he gets out, and he's fine. And they, they interview him, and they say, Lee, how did you do it? And he said, I had a great instructor, and all I did was follow him one step at a time. I want to close by reading the passage that we started with, Psalms 48. But I want to read the following verse after it as well. Here's what it said. It said, walk about Zion, go around her, count her towers, consider well her ramparts, view her citadels, that you may tell of them to the next generation. It says, do a walkabout. And then here's what it says in verse 14. For this God is our God forever and ever. He will be our guide even to the end. This God is our God forever and ever, and He will be our guide even to the end. You see, often if you're like me, what you want is not a guide, what you want is guidance. What I want is a step-by-step plan. I want the process A to Z. I want it laid out. I want to see where I'm going. We want guidance, but Jesus wants to be our guide. There's this relational component that's involved where we choose to follow Jesus one step, one day, one moment at a time. Where Jesus just says, follow me, and I'll do the rest. Would you pray with me? God, I thank you for all my friends that are here this weekend. God, I thank you that, that you don't just tell us where to go, but you, you go there with us. Thank you that you are a relational God. And thank you that you lead us one step at a time. And God, I pray for all my friends here. God, I pray that you would maybe show each one of us a step for us to take this weekend. A step of faith towards you. And God, I pray that as we just take some time, as we close out this year, to look back and look ahead. God, as we intentionally remove some things from our lives, as we intentionally choose to include you more every day and every moment, God, I pray that we would look upon this next season with with hope and with excitement, and God, with a holy anticipation of what you could do at any moment in our lives or through our lives, as we just choose to follow you one step at a time. And so God, show us that next step. Open our eyes, open our hearts towards you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.
Thank you for listening to the Timberlake Church podcast. Stay connected with us by visiting TimberlakeChurch.com or follow us on Twitter or Facebook.